Hello from Cyberry and Delinea, and welcome to the show. If you've been enjoying the Cyberry podcast or 401 Access Denied, then make sure to like, follow, and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. We'd love to hear from you. Join the discussion by leaving us a comment or review on your platform of choice or emailing us at podcast at cyberry.it. From all of us at Cyberry and Delinea, thank you and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the 401 Access Denied podcast brought to you by both Delinea and Cybri. I'm the host and co-host for the show, which uh, I'm Joseph Carson, Chief Security Scientist. And I'm joined again with Chloe. Chloe. Hi, my name is Chloe, and I am the Chief Impact Officer over at Cybri. Awesome. And we've got an awesome guest for you today for today's episode. We actually brought John Hammond in to tell us all about what, what do you do. Tell us about yourself. Oh, hey, thanks so much. Yeah. Hello, my name is John Hammond. Um, I'm a senior security researcher at a company called Huntress. Um, so I do a little bit of, hey, threat hunting, analysis, malware investigation, all that fun stuff. Um, and then off on the side, I have a cheesy YouTube channel where I showcase a lot of cybersecurity content uh, and education, uh, hopefully just for training, just for learning, all, for all the good stuff. So when, when you're doing it, just get it on the content side, when you're doing the content, you, is it just... Do you enjoy doing it? Is it the thing that you enjoy? Yes. Is it what get, uh, gets you excited? <laughs> no, absolutely. If, 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 that, if that wasn't clear, uh, <laughs> the YouTube uh, is really a passion. I mean, it's a labor of love. It's something that's fun to play with and something to explore on the side. Um, and honestly, I think, hey, that's that's grown and blossomed to some very, very cool thing. Um, but I, I'm just grateful, hey, we can bring more education and more training to more people. Absolutely. For, for me. I mean, your content is awesome. It Thank is you. fantastic. And I think for those who create content out there, it, it is so valuable for the industry because it's really, it's that it's giving back. And I always looking for ways to give back because we've benefited for many years from our mentors and being in the industry. And I think what's really changing is to really bring new people and get people excited yeah. and somewhat bringing fun back. I think so when I'm listening to you or Ipsec or um, Stoke or other content creators, even uh, Ben, and I'm just like, you make it fun. You bring some of the entertainment back. And I think that's what a little bit is definitely missing is bringing the excitement and the way that you're, you know, you're delivering them gets everyone excited. <laughs> so I think, you know, for me, I think that's definitely what we need to be doing is bringing the excitement back in, in the security and, and getting by doing that, you get other new people want to get into the industry. And I think that's one of the things we need to be doing. So the topic for today it's not going to be just about content creation, <laughs> but the topic of today is going to be about talking about vulnerabilities. And can I just going to, because I know you cover a lot of vulnerabilities over the years and really go into details about, you know, how, how exploitable they are, um, how to create payloads into how to use them and really showing the risk. Um, in the past year or so, what, what are some memorable vulnerabilities that you've experienced the past year that, that got you excited? Oh, yeah. Well, thank you. I mean, so honestly, there are so many <laughs> like <laughs> hey we, we know that's like never well, ending the, the treadmill of cybersecurity is that hey there's always another one coming next there's something else on the horizon whatever incident whatever breach whatever attack whatever news headlines new zero day making a lot of noise in the in the news um I think I try to be very selective and, hey, what are the vulnerabilities that we really need to scream and shout about? Because there is a certain conversation, a little bit of balancing act of the doom and gloom, alarmist, mm -hmm. fear, uncertainty, and doubt stuff. And, and I, I really want to be cognizant of, hey, avoiding that. Um, I don't I don't want to chase an ambulance if it's just another ambulance going down, right? So uh, there are some that have stuck out in my mind are the ones like, okay, we really need to be vocal about this. And 
I think those are the big name ones that folks tend to know. Mm -hmm. Okay, Print Nightmare certainly was worth a commotion. Log4j, Log4Shell certainly worth a commotion. Mm -hmm. Some folks probably remember Hafnium, the proxy shell, yeah, proxy absolutely. logon stuff yeah. that was a targeting Microsoft Exchange servers. And now, most recently, as the time of us getting together to, <laughs> to chat, uh, is uh, Felina, or that Microsoft Support Diagnostics tool, or the MSDT one. It, it's funny, I can, I can like rattle off the CVE names from the top <laughs> of my, all the numbers and the IDs from my head, but I don't mean to be that nerdy on you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Which is okay, because many of the audience, some are kind of like in that thought leadership, they kind of just wanting to get what's, you know, the latest hot topics. Right. Well, we have a lot of techies out there, a lot of nerds <laughs> like myself. So, but yeah, when, even when I see the CVEs, I'm like, oh yeah, that, that's that one. Yeah, <laughs> I actually started my career in cybersecurity through vulnerability management. Oh goodness. So oh. I'm like, okay, <laughs> let's let's talk here. So how do you factor in what to prioritize? Because I always find like that's the number one issue. And it's like, oh well we can use scanners. And then we have other things that we can set on top of scanners mm -hmm. to know what to prioritize. But what how do you pick what to prioritize? Yeah. I, so coming from a little bit more of that, hey, that offensive background or adversary emulation, red teaming and pen testing, the stuff that really helps speed run a threat actor and, and hey, help give them a shortcut is absolutely what is attractive to them. With that said, remote code execution <laughs> and yes. like the critical high impact stuff is what they're going to go after. Mm -hmm. um, and the easier that is, the less barrier of entry that is for a specific exploit or for a specific mm -hmm. technique or vulnerability that makes it more and more impactful. And that, oh, okay, we found this thing where we can get code execution without authentication, okay, mm -hmm. without authorization, you don't need user credentials. That sounds like a smoking gun. That sounds like a bad big weapon that could be used. The thing is, when the reporters and the journalists come out of the woodwork and they say, hey, who's the target here? Are they, are they going after... <laughs> country XYZ, region ABC, or any of those noise, it's, I think the scariest thing that we come to is like, no, there is no target. It, it's literally just a spray and pray across the internet because the vulnerability is just so easy and so accessible and the exploit uh, can be so widespread. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the things we need to maybe sound the alarm yeah. for. The ones that's opportunistic. They're just like, you know, yeah. I can just target everybody and hopefully I'll catch basically, you know, a threat on one. And so then you exploit it. You can, then you take advantage of it, whether it's been financial motivation or data disclosure. Absolutely. Those, those opportunistic ones are the ones I scared. The targeted ones... Yeah. Are always you always have to be much more kind of like analytical and, and really look for the metrics and try to make it make it difficult for them so they kind of create noise and the network can give you some visibility. But the ones that scare me is just the ones that like they just go and they can target anybody, right? And anyone that's connected to the internet. And if, if those you know services are exposed, it makes it more difficult and more challenging. So when you're going into you know I always think you know, there's two types of you know you talk about remote code execution, which for me is always the one whether it's privileges or no privileges are needed, whether mm. you you have access or not. Um, the one I always see is, well, sometimes you've got those who already have some initial access and they're just lying in wait, waiting for the local privilege escalation ones. So like, like you know, Print Nightmare was also capable of doing that. Uh, how, do you, how, you know, how do you evaluate those as well when all of a sudden maybe the threat actors got initial access they're just, and they're just waiting? And all of a sudden when that zero day comes out and they basically can elevate up to like a, a local administrator or a domain administrator. How, you know, how, how, do you, how risky is that? 
totally. There are so many things to unpack with that one because you're absolutely right. Hey, you know, a threat actor could be lurking and dwelling mm -hmm. in the environment, just kind of waiting to strike. Mm -hmm. um, that's a reality. Uh, oftentimes you see more a smash and grab operation, mm -hmm. but again, those are, hey, the more sophisticated or advanced persistent threat yeah. APTs that will just wait for the, for the moment of opportunity. Um, so when a vulnerability, print nightmare like yeah. you mentioned, mm -hmm. comes along, uh, that opens the door. Uh, Print Nightmare was pretty scary because that could certainly be used for remote code uh, execution from a distance, but then even on a box, on a target, yeah. local privilege escalation. Hey, we take our Joe Schmo user mm -hmm. and then we bring him up to root or the administrator, etc. How I tend to analyze those or prioritize those is again, okay, is this based off of a inherent native feature or functionality um, that's core to the operating system. And that's absolutely why Print Nightmare made yep. such a splash, I think, because like, that's Windows. <laughs> that, that, that is it's, the computer. <laughs> it's built in. It's only every computer. There's right. Yeah. It's, it's the, that's the issue is that how widespread is it? You yeah. know, it, you know even like Log4Shell, uh, log, uh, um, that uh, you end up getting into is so widespread. There's so many mm -hmm. systems using it. And even you get into things like even Java vulnerabilities as well. It's on almost every computer. And that for me is the impact. And then how easy and exploitable is it? And I think it's really interesting. Uh, if it's all right, I know it's kind of sometimes a spicy polarizing topic, um, but when the community comes together in the response for, hey, these headlines and zero day and vulnerability stuff uh, shaking up the scene, I really love to see how we can come together and, hey, we've got detection engineers that do great mm -hmm. work. We've got uh, other threat hunters and cyber threat analysts and intelligence that are trying to determine, okay, are there any uh, or entities or threat mm -hmm. actor groups already using this? Uh, we also have some of those red team or individuals mm -hmm. that are like, hey, let's create a proof of concept. Let's create it, like, let's recreate that with a benign payload, mm -hmm. like pop and open the calculator or the yeah. notepad, right? Uh, I'll admit uh, I, again, come from, hey, let, let's have some fun, let's hack away, <laughs> and I try to recreate an exploit. And there are conversations, which I'm sure some mm -hmm. folks might raise, and like, hey, aren't you just enabling more cybercrime? Which is, yes, I realize this is a can of worms, and I'm trying to be very careful in dancing around this. Uh, but I think it's important for hey, the community, and yes, okay, there are bad people that might use these, but the good people can very well use this just as well. That's how yeah. you can detect this. That's how you can work and validate against this with a mm -hmm. patch or a workaround or mitigation efforts. Um, and if you know what the adversary is going to use, yes. you're better off than not knowing what they would have. <laughs> Make it very realistic at the end of the day. If you want to get that taken care of, you want to learn, mm -hmm. you got to make it as realistic as possible. Uh, yeah, it is scary for many people like, wait, but aren't you just training people to do like devious things? It's like, <laughs> well, I mean, think about it this way. If I'm going to do it ethically and stay within scope and everything, and I'm doing it for learning purposes, not to take advantage of someone, then I'm doing the right thing. Once yeah. again, get permission. Yeah, get, always, always make sure. Always get yeah, permission. Stay, stay legal, do it with authorization. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally a balancing <laughs> act, but I think the communication <laughs> and the transparency is, is paramount in that. Yeah. So in, in that, you know, uh, I absolutely I agree because you need to think like an attacker. Yeah. You need to understand it. And if you go through the steps, um, I mean, for the re reason I went through some of the, the, the previous uh, content you've created, is for me to understand it so I can look at what things along the way can I actually identify 
or put you know indicators of compromise mm-hmm. or to make it more difficult or to at least maybe sandbox it or limit the ability for attackers to exploit it. So that for me, it's knowing and being transparent is more important than than hiding it and not talking about it because yeah. I think that makes it more dangerous. I love that you mentioned that. I, I think it's a fascinating conversation when you get into, okay, malware, right, and threat actors that might use and abuse these new vulnerabilities. Uh, and I hearken it back to... I know it sounds a little bit dated now, but like WannaCry is a fine example. Ransomware, hey, targeting some of the Eternal Blue, uh, SMB, like version one stuff, protocols and abuse there. The reason that WannaCry was able to be, okay, taken down, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. is because we looked into it. Because you had researchers (laughs) that would take it apart, that would disassemble it, work through it in a debugger and understand, oh, if we just had a a domain name registered, we could turn this thing off. So I don't know. I I think there should always be scrutiny and understanding Mm -hmm. and like, what is the threat here? What's the vulnerability? What's being taken advantage of? Uh, And uh, we all need to be in it together. Uh, That's the end of the day. Like, hey, it takes a village. How how important is it for you to also, when you're doing, uh, you know, looking at these uh, different vulnerabilities, how important is it for you to also look at what's the mitigations? You know, how can you reduce the risk? Is it patchable? And if you wanted to, you know, for me, I think I always look at it is how easy is this to, to get patched? Yeah. How easy is it for me to reduce the risk or to harden the box so that people can't take advantage of it? When you're doing, going through that, is that something you consider and, and, and put into the content as well? How people can actually reduce the risk from these? Absolutely. So without... I mean, sure, creating the cool yeah. proof of concept and the exploit is nice and fancy to recreate it, but you have to be able to, again, validate and verify, hey, our workarounds are working. Our mitigation is in place when we're still waiting for a patch to become available, which I think has become a very unfortunate norm. <laughs> uh, I got to be honest, guys. I don't know if we still have a patch from this Felina thing, the yeah. Microsoft uh, support diagnostics tool one. But we were waiting for a couple times for Print Nightmare. And then, mm-hmm. okay, that got patched like what, a second or third time? <laughs> Mitigations and workarounds are unfortunately what we have to, I think, come yeah. to more often than not now. Uh, oftentimes that has its own consequences. Like, hey, the solution, quote-unquote, in air quotes for print nightmare, was, so. Oh, just stop printing, right? <laughs> doesn't disable, work. Disable prints for yeah. We're done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to, and if I could, for whatever advice or words of wisdom, is you really have to take this whole thing, whatever new vulnerability or there's nothing, something new to sound the alarm, you have to assess your own threat model. Like you have to know your own risk. You have to know what's appropriate for your business, your organization, your operations, because... That's variable. Before we jumped in on live to be able to record this segment, we were thinking about, oh, you know, the CVSS, the severity (laughs) score for how you impact and how you categorize a vulnerability. Sure, you can go from numbers and the higher you are, the more impact it is. But keep in mind, that's totally subjective. That's totally relative and variable dependent on your worldview. You can decide the priority of a threat or vulnerability. Absolutely. I think, you know, you, you've, so you've, this is where you started off. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm uh, sorry. I didn't mean yeah, to go yeah. on this oh, no. tangent. So <laughs> what, I mean, from, from your side of things, what, what did you focus on? Was it more on kind of discovery or mitigations or was it more about oh, reporting geez. it back to the business and trying to figure <laughs> out, you know, what, what priority is it? I think the first thing was just getting people to understand that you can't fully rely on scanners. I think mm. that was like the first thing <laughs> that I like focused on was that it is very, very challenging to just overly rely on scanners. And that's the reason why I went to bug bounty next was because 
oh, wait, we've also seen the research and it shows, oh, scanners are great to use. But bug bounty, you're going to find those vulnerabilities that the scanner didn't pick up on it. Mm -hmm. And that's so important because once again, we're sharing knowledge. And, you know, whenever there's a vulnerability that just drops, it always seems like suddenly the entire bug bounty uh, scene, everyone's submitting that one. <laughs> They're like, and then like the triage team for all the bug bounty platforms are like, oh God, it's going to be a long couple of days. There's, um, like a, there's like a bat signal yeah. in the sky like, and the boom. Avengers assemble. <laughs> uh, my, and everyone's my, like, yeah. oh yeah, it's going to get that pay. Yeah. So my, my background, I came from the patch management side of things. And it was like, it just felt like a never ending story. You just like, you know, you patch, you get the past Tuesday comes out and then you get into Wednesday where you actually try to understand it. And then it was proof of concept Thursday. Deploy Friday, cry on Saturday, <laughs> and roll it back on Sunday. Oh, Try again Monday, yeah. and you're already in Tuesday again. And it's just, just like repeat. You just kept getting into that cycle. And it almost just became a never-ending story. And I think, to your point, it, is you have to be very subjective to really understand about Because you, you can just get into that never-ending loop. Mm. And you just all you do is deploy patches without really thinking about how impactful it is to the business. Does it really apply? Is my environment any unique or different? that this is more or less exploitable. Um, so I think organizations really have, you know, you can do the scanning tools, which ultimately just gives you the same, basically, yeah. C CVE results, and you can look at the scores and determine, you know, is this something I should patch? But you really get to understand what is the impact to the business? Is it something that, is this connected to the public internet, which makes it, makes it much more critical? Is it something that's on a closed network? Um, I think organizations really still have, I don't think they've got to the point where they really understand that, uh, at least to a point where they become efficient. Um, and I think it's important to have organizations have people like you in the organizations to really start to give them that subjective you know, view. Uh, I think it's really important why organizations should work for bug, with bug bounty companies to really help them understand about how it is impactful to their business as well. Do you, I, think, do you think organizations can do this alone? I think I, I, I side with you in that there isn't an easy button for this, mm. which probably is why, hey, this kind of gets pushed away or isn't uh, on the forefront of folks' minds because, yeah, it's going to take a little bit of effort to know and understand and uh, really see, okay, what is this threat? What is this vulnerability? Whether it's Log4j, Felina, Print Nightmare, et cetera. We can enumerate here and there, but it it takes the knowledge being spread and the information made available and, and it takes the organization to actually read that and consume it and understand it. Um, could an organization do this alone? I think so. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'm optimistic. It obviously helps. Uh, I'm glad we were chatting about bug bounty because at the end of the day, yes, it's incredible. It's a great initiative. Always continue to patch vulnerabilities. Keep patching. The, mm -hmm. It's a tried and true method. Just, hey, patch and have those updates. I realize, hey, we can put whatever asterisk and disclaimer that says, oh, what if that breaks something else? Mm -hmm. Trust me, you, I think you're going to see more <laughs> benefit in being safe than sorry. Uh, and I think I had one more nugget in there that I was trying to think of, but there's more to uncover in here for sure. <laughs> okay. So what's what's next? I mean, for, you know, is there areas of improvements we can do, um, you know, around this? Um, I remember it was an interesting. I was I was on a panel years ago, and it was 
it was a bunch of you know ethical hackers, and then we had law enforcement. And it was always that fine balance between you know, how how far is going too far, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, how do you stay legal? So where is the boundaries for you know kind of what's the boundaries for you to kind of make sure that you're always doing it in a legal manner? Is there certain things that you want to make sure that you're not getting into where you're crossing that line? Because I remember I used to do things like taking you know vulnerability disclosures. Um, or you know database dumps of of password hashes and then correlating together and then you know the police are going that's you can't do that because <laughs> you're creating you're theoretically creating a new vulnerability or you're creating a new data breach. Oh. So they always said it's always a it's always a fine line. So how you know what what kind of areas do you say is you know that you, is crossing the line when you get into this? I think we, we're certainly getting closer to sort of the hot topics mm-hmm. of, oh, okay, offensive security tooling and the release mm-hmm. and the timing of that, right? So I, I do not, and I do not like to share, okay, obviously I release, hey, some proof of concept code yeah. to be able to recreate the exploit against some vulnerabilities. But I have the guilt and shame again, okay, am I enabling more evil? But Okay, there are already exploits out there. There's already mm-hmm. exploits in the wild. This is known. I'm not. I'm not adding to the noise any more than I had if that were not the case, right? Uh, I've had some conversations about that. Like, hmm, should there ever be like a when when a researcher discloses a vulnerability to an organization? There's a 90 day waiting period yeah, the before the disclosure window. Yeah, yeah. So uh, part of me wonders is like, okay, if a new vulnerability is out there, should it pen testers and red teamers wait 90 days before <laughs> dropping the exploit scripts. I don't know. That an interesting thing to think about. Uh, as long as we're communicating, as long as we're transparent, as long as we are doing this all for the reasons of, Hey, we're bettering security. Mm-hmm. I think that's the most important thing, but I know for a fact that, yeah, okay. Sometimes we're making it easier on the adversary than we need to. Uh, the print nightmare proof of concept that mm-hmm. I had written with a good friend of mine yeah. is in the Conti ransomware gang playbook. <laughs> I don't know if hey, you can see the leak, but there's our name in our GitHub repository. And that's crazy and wild and sometimes super scary. Uh, I don't, but something's to be cognizant but, when you but, look but at it's, the But at the same time, though, you, you get, you know, attackers are using things like PSUSA. Yeah. They're, they're using yeah. Uh, GMR. Totally. Uh, which I was, I mean, when I was, I was going through is, is response and looking at it, they're using a lot of the tools that we use for everyday system administration in order, you know, GMR, they were using it for to try to find out what antivirus and anti-malware software is running oh, in the wow. kernel. So if you don't see an agent, they're running GMR to see uh, AV, so they can do you know obfuscation, so they can avoid it. Um, so you get into there's low, but for me, I think it's the right thing to do is to be transparent and make the world know. Uh, we had Casey Ellis on, and we had uh, Katie Mazuris on. That was a fun. Heck so yeah. we actually went through. We actually did a whole episode of vulnerability disclosure. I think that 90 day window is 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 a ballpark. For right. me, it all comes down to: Is this something we need to know about? Is this something that we need to be thinking and starting already already starting looking for the indicators of compromise um, because it's already been exploited? And I think um, I actually met with uh, Chris last night, hmm. uh, so Chris Krebs. I was chatting with him, oh, and one of the things I so I, so I, <laughs> I said to him, I was like, when you came on board and you took over CISA and you basically the biggest thing, the big change I had was a security researcher's role was sending information one direction. And the big change since Chris came on board was that it became a two-way information totally. street. And it completely changed. We started seeing government agencies becoming more proactive and actually sending out notifications and alerts that sometimes they may have kept for a long time for themselves. 
but they started actually working in, in the community. They started working with researchers. And I think that's a big difference. And I think, you know, for us, it makes it much easier moving forward if we have that two-way communication. And with Jen Easterly, I've definitely, I've seen that continuous. I think definitely the government is now, I think, becoming more part of the solution than were maybe four or five years before. They were basically maybe part of the problem. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm not, obviously, hey, we're not trying to have any ill intention speak yeah. or uh, throw shade one way or the mm. other, but the, this is the best cybersecurity team that we've ever had on the Absolutely. field than ever before. Absolutely. Uh, without a doubt. I think we're taking a more proactive uh, defense and defending forward uh, stance, and I am so happy to see it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I when I met, I was like, I have to, I have to tell you the feedback because I've, for, <laughs> for, I've been doing this for years, and it's like you made a big difference in working with the industry, um, which had never happened before. Um, I was actually talking uh, with the FBI as well, and they were like, you know, we've been listening and monitoring for so many years. It's hard to share information. <laughs> it's a whole change in culture for us. And it was always ironic. It's like I, I get it. Um, but I think what, what what things for you next? What's uh, content you are looking to create uh, going Ooh, forward? Yeah, no, thank you. So, um, hey, for other vulnerability ends and for some day job stuff, right in the classic hunter sense, um, whatever else comes up, uh, the new things when the the winds are brewing. But for content creation over on the personal side, I have been having a lot of fun with creating a small Active Directory environment because okay. um, I know, hey, there are a lot of folks that are super interested. And again, oh, that pen tester red team of world it's like what about domain controller environments uh what are we going to do with bloodhound how are we cracking into stuff with impacket um so i'm i'm wanting to showcase both the building perspective of mm -hmm. that and then kind of pivoting and bouncing back and forth for for breaking the different things uh so it's been a lot of fun and i'm excited for that to come out uh, and come to life. Awesome. <laughs> any any time frame? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So currently, I, I released the first video today, uh, or just yesterday, admittedly, and I'm trying to sprinkle them out now. It's funny because I try to be able to record and get stuff in the backlog, or so like, okay, I don't have to stress about. I'm gonna have to stay up really late to record something, <laughs> um, and then just sprinkle and slowly mm. get it out. Um, but then I'll have to go back to the grind and record again. <laughs> so I, I have about ten ready. Um, and I'll sprinkle them slowly. Awesome. <laughs> nice. So, any thoughts on you that you you know what can we do? Well, <laughs> what I can mean, we do like, better? Just overall, I I've seen your videos. We've chatted Thank about you. CTFs yeah. all the time, yeah. and I mean it's really good to just keep on doing what you're doing. You're giving back to the community for them to learn, and anyone who's like, oh, aren't you training those bad guys? <laughs> all the good like the stuff and all that. Forget them. They yeah, don't understand. For, At the end of the day, they don't yeah. understand because, uh, you know, there's a, there is a, a fine line between, you know, an attacker and a hacker. And Agreed. as long as we, we just keep on teaching people that, I think that's important. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's about, I mean, f for me, hacking is not a crime. It's the motive and how you abuse it is basically the, the differentiate between doing criminal work and actually doing work that's good for the world. So keep on hacking and keep, because what you do is you're making the world a safer place for all of us. And I think that's for me is the big difference. And so for me, it's all about, you know, how you use your knowledge and how you apply it and the difference it makes, because I would rather know about a vulnerability than not. And I'd rather know what to look for and, and have that knowledge beforehand, before somebody's already in my environment and trying to clean it up. Because it's more, so it's more difficult to clean it up than it is to prevent it. 
And I think that makes a difference. So absolutely, keep on hacking. Keep on making the world a safer place. You're definitely one of the most awesome in the community and content creators. Thank you. And I think there's a lot, you know, of new young kind of talent that's coming into the industry that you are you're attracting into it. You're 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 solving our skills gap in in a very unique way. So thank you. Well, awesome. thank you. That's very flattered. Uh, and this has been a real treat. Thank you so much for letting me spend some time with you. Yeah. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure. I, I've been pestering you for a long time now. So it's, I'm so happy to get you on the show. So everyone, John Hammonds. This is Chloe Joe Carson on the Four One Access Tonight podcast. Again, tune in every two weeks. Stay safe, enjoy, and see you soon. Thank you. Learn how your team can get a free trial of Cybrary for Business by going to www.cybrary.it slash business. This podcast is also brought to you by Delinea. Dicotic and Centrify are now Delinea, the leader in privileged access management. To learn more, visit delinea.com.